the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You know, many Christians believe that the future is a millennium on earth where God will move over and kind of put his tin up and he'll work right alongside an evil, corrupt planet and kind of transform or work with what is. The Bible doesn't teach that. That's Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, make sure that you call us at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Someone is there right now to take your prayer request and to pray with you. 888-244-HOPE. Today's Reaching Your Heart with Pastor Michael Oxentenko is the very last message in the Cosmic Controversy series, number 18, entitled, The Death of Darkness in the Last Morning. The last time we were together, we brought you the first portion of that message, and we will conclude it now. And we hope that you enjoy it again. It's the very last message in the Cosmic Controversy series. If you'd like to listen to any of these messages, they are available for you at reachingyourheart.com. That's reachingyourheart.com. Let's get underway now. Here is Pastor Michael Tanko with today's Reaching Your Heart. Satan can't deceive anyone unless they're alive. Isn't that true? So when they come to life at the end of the millennium, now he can deceive them. So when the wicked come to life at the end of the thousand years, he is logically loosed to deceive them all over again. Look at verse 8. And Satan will come out to deceive the nations which are at the four corners of the earth, that is Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven. And what did it do, according to that verse? Some Bibles will say it devoured them. Mine says it consumed them. At the end of the millennium, the holy city appears right here on planet earth. So the question is, is deserving here. How on earth did the holy city get here at the end of the millennium? Why is it suddenly here when it should be there in the context? The answer is given a little later in Revelation 21 verse 2. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. It moves from there to here at the end of the millennium. That capital of a class 5 ancient cosmic civilization will move from there to here so that here it will be established as the capital of the universe. God will not leave this world to exist as a dead ball shaking in cold space with a serpent in the bottomless pit. He will not leave it that way. Christ did not die on the cross so this world would never have a new beginning to flower again with Eden spring. No, he did not. At the end of the thousand years, Jesus will return for the last time. And he will return with all his saints that were resurrected in the first resurrection and those who were caught up alive at the second coming. Those who have been faithful to him, who have lived and reigned with him, he's bringing them back with all the host of heaven. For a thousand years, he has healed them. 
He has educated them. He has taught them the lessons from the great controversy. They have opened the books. They have looked at the evidence of why Lucifer fell. Every single question they have has been answered. They see why certain loved ones have not made it. And they understand that the love of God was not withdrawn from them. And when every single question is finally understood and answered... When all issues are set aside, the love of God can reign supreme in the universe. It is only then that that holy city comes down. There's only one problem when they return to earth. The wicked dead have been resurrected and the dragon is still here. And so when they come to earth, a host of evil come up against the city. They attack the very city that is the beloved city of God. And as the holy city descends, this unusual reception as it is here, as they they see this city... It's, it's a war of ideas, a war of worlds, a war of spirits. In Revelation 20, verse 9, the Bible is very clear that the wicked are destroyed when they attack the holy city. You can't interpret the word consumed or devoured in any other way than consume or devour. Let's look at it again. Verse 9, Revelation 20. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. You can't get plainer than that. Now, the word consume means to burn up and leave nothing behind. In fact, the book of Malachi says that the wicked, including the root of evil, the devil, will be ashes under the soles of the righteous feet. So it means what it says when it says consume. Now in this context, the verse that follows has confused some, but it need not be so. I'd like you to put on your thinking caps, hold your Bible tight here. We're going to analyze one of the most difficult verses in the Bible today and come to some answers that can remove the difficulty. So let's look at verse 10 in its context and let the Word of God speak for itself to illumine this apparently difficult verse. Revelation 20, verse 10. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. You say, yeah, pastor, everything you said in verse 9 gets nullified in verse 10. Now to a casual reader, now how many of you want to be a casual reader that ignores context? Keep your hands down. How many of you want to be enlightened, intelligent readers that study the Word of God in its context? Raise your hand. A text out of context is a pretext. Now, how many of you want to just trust what the preacher says for truth? Keep your hands down. How many of you want to rely on the Word of God for truth? Raise them high. Okay, what's we want to do? I'm going to do my best here, as God is working in my life, a fellow traveler seeking truth, to go through this verse and explain it exegetically in its context and to let you test and see if what I'm saying is true. Now, to a casual reader, it would seem that verse 10 contradicts verse 9, but it does not. You see, when you allow in your thinking this notion that God can contradict himself in Scripture, you're in trouble from your very beginning. Your assumption base is wrong. In verse 9, the wicked are consumed. The Bible says so. But in verse 10, it seems to say that they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, you can't have it both ways. So what's going on here? In the Greek language, there are three case endings that describe time. Has anyone here ever had German? Any German-speaking people here? Now, they have case endings in German. Ablative. Other languages have case endings as well. This is true in Greek. The Greek language nouns were given a grammatical quality by the ending so that they were assigned a case ending. And what does that mean? Well, in the Greek language, there are three case endings that are used to denote certain kinds of time. The accusative case ending describes the duration of time. 
The locative case ending describes a point in time. And the genitive case ending describes quality or kind of time. So if you want to describe eternity, you'd use the accusative for the duration of time. If you wanted to describe a, a moment in time, what case ending would you use? You use the locative because it locates it in time. But if you wanted to describe the kind or quality of time, you would have to use what? The genitive case ending. In Revelation 20, verse 10, the words day and night, it does not use the accusative, it does not use the locative, it uses the genitive. Which means day and night, which are genitives in the Greek, it represents day and night kind of time. When Judas betrayed Jesus, that uses the genitive time, he went out and it was night kind of time for him. It meant it was darkness for him. When Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, it's a genitive of time. It was dark kind of time. The Bible's saying that as long as there is day and night kind of time, the fire will never go out forever and ever. Now, I've heard some people try to use this word forever and ever and say, well, the Bible doesn't mean forever and ever here. It sure does. This Greek usage of forever and ever is always used in the Greek New Testament to describe eternity in the construction that we have here. So that you can't use a failed argument like that. As long as there is day and night kind of time, they will burn forever and ever. That's what it's saying. Now the Bible is saying that something has to change for the old forever to end. Day and night kind of time has to come to an end too. So how long does day and night kind of time last? That's the question here. How long does the old order endure so that that old forever is in place? It's important to answer this question because as long as there is day and night kind of time, evil will always be here and the devil will never die. The answer is given in the book of Genesis. Take your Bible, turn with me to Genesis 8.22. Day and night kind of time does not last forever. The old forever of day and night will one day come to an end. God will end the era of partial darkness. Genesis 8, 22, While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, what does it say? Shall not cease. Now you see that phrase, while the earth remains? So how long does day and night kind of time last according to that verse? As long as you have this earth, there will be what? Day and night kind of time. So if you want to get rid of day and night kind of time, that old forever of evil, what do you have to get rid of? You've got to remove the earth. You've got to start over. You need a new earth and you get rid of the old. The Bible is very clear. Day and night lasts only as long as the earth remains. If the earth passes away, day and night kind of time goes too. So let's go back to Revelation 20 verse 10. Let's look at it in its context. Go back to Revelation 20, verse 10. Let's read it again. The devil who had deceived them was thrown in the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Day and night kind of time in verse 10, forever and ever. Now remember, according to Genesis 8:22, day and night kind of time only lasts as long as the earth remains, not one day longer. Now take your finger, move down to the next verse in the context. Look at verse 11. We just read Revelation 20, verse 10. Now look at verse 11. Then, now the word then means this happens next. Then I saw a great white throne, 
and him who sat upon it, from his presence, what happened? Earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. Ah, here is the end of the old order. Here is the end of the earth. Remember, day and night kind of time lasts as long as the earth remains, but the earth is going away. From the presence of God, it vanishes. Now, the only way to get rid of day and night kind of time, as we've said, is to remove the old earth and recreate a new one. The old world has to go down to make room for the new one that comes up. To destroy the old forever of day and night kind of time, you have to destroy the earth and start over. The Bible says earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. That's another way of saying the devil's day is done. The devil's era is over. The era of night and day has ended because there is no more room for night in the glorious future of God. The death of darkness will be the end of evil. The end of day and night kind of time brings the end of a world that needs to end, that needs to surrender to a glorious dawn that will never, ever fade away. Now, this year has been a rough one for me and my family. I don't know about you. I had a rough year this year. I thank God for the good times this year. My mother died this year. My dog Avalanche died. A good friend, I was in the hospital probably three or four months, almost every evening, and he died this year. And there's a lot of stuff like that going on. We've had losses in our church, and we had people who've suffered illness. Fighting for the court decision took a lot of physical energy out of me, to be very frank with you. But, you know, Jesus is good. The outcome is worth the struggle, isn't it? So we can say hallelujah, praise God, there's another year coming. Imagine a world, though, where life is the rule and you don't have to battle with darkness anymore. Imagine a world where love is the light, where the glory of God shines brilliant and the white-hot heat of His love that has destroyed the wicked is for you the life energy of eternity. The death of darkness will introduce the last dawn. The Bible teaches that there will come a day when the sun will never set. There will come a day when the dawn of a never-ending morning is the thrill of never-ending day every day. This is the metaphor of timeless joy, the metaphor of love that never ceases, the metaphor of life that is brilliant and bright forever and ever. There will come a day when there will be no more death and no more dying for the former things have passed away and they will never come back to haunt you again. There will be a day when there will be no more sin, no more Satan. No more suffering because the old order has surrendered to the light of the last dawn. The twin metaphors for evil in the Bible are darkness and the sea. Revelation 21 verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. The old forever is gone. If there had been the old order, the devil would have continued on. To do away with him, God had to start all over again. The sea was no more. And what does that mean? No more pit for him to live in. No more place for evil to abide. Now the context tells us more, verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of God is with men. He will dwell with them. Pastor Michael Oxentenko will be back in just a moment. Reaching Your Heart is a listener-funded program. We step out in faith to purchase airtime on this station because we believe God is working through this radio ministry to touch tens of thousands of lives. Each of our messages is prayed over, biblical messages of hope and Bible truth. To continue, we need your support. 
We do not have a large ministry fundraising machine. We operate totally by faith. Call our toll-free number to make your contribution of any size today. That number is 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Here now, once again, Pastor Michael Oxentenko. Now the context tells us more, verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of God is with men. He will dwell with them. And they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. I mean, no more visits to the graveyard. No more having to lay a loved one beneath the ground in hope of the resurrection. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. You know, if the devil has eternal life in a place called hell, then this verse is false. It says, Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. The old era of night and darkness is gone. The earth and the sky have fled from the presence of God. A new order is established, and there is no more evil in the universe. God will not establish evil with divine power. Evil will die. And he who sits upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. There will be no more devil and no more suffering, a lake of fire to mess up the joy of eternal life. There comes a day when death dies. The day darkness dies is the day God starts over with a new day. The new order has no room for darkness in it. Only the light will rule eternity. In Revelation 21, the new Jerusalem is a perfect cube because it has become the new most holy place. There is no sanctuary in the new order in Revelation, but the city of the saved is just like the most holy place. The Shekinah glory of the Holy of Holies, the glory that comes from between the cherubim, the glory of God becomes the glory of the saints in eternity. And the light of God and the Lamb is called a lamp. It is a light that will never, ever fade. It is the last dawn that will never set for endless ages. Revelation 21, verse 23, And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine upon it, for the glory of God is its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. And by its light shall the nations walk, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory into it. And its gates shall never be shut by day, and there shall be no night there. The return to God is the return to Eden. Paradise is a plan for your personal future, and there is no night in it with God. There is only a day full of bright light. Revelation 22, verse 1. Then he showed me the river, the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and out of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruits, twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There shall no more be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall worship him. This verse is very clear. Nothing will exist in the universe that is accursed, only those who love God. Verse 4, they shall see his face, his name shall be on their foreheads. And then verse 5, and night shall be no more. Night shall be no more. Night shall be no more. And they need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light. And they shall reign forever and ever. Avalanche was my son's dog for nine years. Mine too. I wish that good times would never grow old, but they do grow old and go away. 
There's a time for childhood to end. There's a time when pets must pass. And there's a time to start over again with new life. As Avalanche got older, he got grumpier and snappy. And time his erratic behavior became a hazard to others. And we did everything we could to try and ameliorate it, but we, we couldn't in time fix all the issues that he had. A few weeks ago, I mean, this took a lot of struggle within us. We had to put him down. It hurt everybody in the family to do it. We didn't want to see him go. We didn't want to see him die. I drove to Jellicoe Mountain in Tennessee to the very spot where my son was building his cabin. John Michael was waiting at the gate to let me in with sadness in his eyes. We knew what it meant. Avalanche had dug rocks out of the mountain and placed them on the cabin floor to help build the cabin. And there we buried him beside the cabin where the cold wind doesn't blow as hard and the light shines through the trees at times. There's a cross marking the spot where we laid him down the warm ground of his favorite place. And there's a river that flows just beneath the slope where he rests until Jesus comes. Yes, until Jesus comes. I have no doubt that we will get him back in the resurrection. I'll give you a proof text, Psalms 33, 6. God saves man and beast. And that's how it reads in the Hebrew. Last week, my son Donald saw the cross in the spot for the very first time. When you lose a friend, you wanted to keep alive forever. And so my son cried there at that spot. As we were working on the cabin, the four-wheeler that we had had some mechanical issues. My son Donald wanted to get away. He left to visit an old man who knew how to fix it. His name was Ray Day. They say he's not all there. And he will tell you without a shame, he isn't all there. He doesn't think so. But I don't believe a word of it. There's something about the name Ray Day. I mean, he was smart enough to fix that four-wheeler, and he was kind enough to fix it. Something about his name, Ray Day, a ray of light and a new day, it somehow said to me. As I visited his home, I saw my son working on the four-wheeler in the rain and the mud with Ray Day. And out of my eye, we both noticed a little dog that was timid and dark, prancing in the mud. Caught our eye. Now, Avalanche had two blue eyes. He was white. This little puppy had one blue eye and one black eye. He was half husky, and something else was in the mix. Avalanche looked like snow. The puppy looked like smoke. He said, he's the last of the litter, and I'll give him to the first person that takes him away. And then he smiled at us. Well, we didn't take him away right away. We prayed, and we stayed on the property, working late into the night on that cabin. But somehow that little puppy worked on our thoughts and emotions at every turn, in the cabin's process. We just kept talking about the puppy. We felt sorry for him in his uncertain future. The last day, just before we left the mountain, we went to the property and picked the little guy up. For some irrational reason, we couldn't leave him there. We had to take him home to be with us. He was born the week we buried Avalanche on the same mountain he was born. He was born near the place we laid Avalanche to rest. He was part husky like Avalanche, but something else was in the mix. Avalanche's ending became his new beginning. And we found him at the very place that was full of pain for us. In the pain, there was a plan for life and a future that we couldn't see. In the cold and the rain and the mud, we found the puppy and we pulled him out of the mud. Ray Day gave him to us freely, glad to let him go. Like a ray of light that breaks in the darkness with the dawn of a new day, Ray Day gave us the puppy. It is the spring of life for him. 
On the way back, he slept in the car on Donald's lap next to his head, just kind of snoozing as a little puppy. He even has nightmares like Avalanche did. In the middle of his sleep, Avalanche would kind of stir, go, oh, his nightmare. This dog does too. Kind of pet him and soothe him, and he's fine. Donald named the little guy Smokey. And Smokey is the new pup at the Oxentanko house. And that wasn't easy done because my wife struggled. She said, well, call him something besides Smokey, treasure pie or something like that. So no, honey, you don't call a dog like this, a, a male dog that's half husky, something like treasure pie. Let the boy name his own dog, Smokey. Well, I just called her and she said, how is Smokey Treasure doing? She still wants to, to name that dog. Smokey is his name. We stick with it, right? He's the new pup at the Oxentanko house. As I wrote this sermon last night, little Smokey was sleeping at my feet, very happy to be in a new place called home. That's Pastor Michael Oxentenko as he concludes the last message in the Cosmic Controversy series, The Death of Darkness in the Last Morning. And we hope that you enjoyed it. You can find it online at reachingyourheart.com along with the rest of the Cosmic Controversy series. And thank you so much for listening today. Are you fascinated by the prophecies of Revelation? Have you wished you could understand prophecy better? Do the symbols of the Bible's last book baffle you? God's Last Altar Call is just the book you need. Mark Finley clearly explains the events soon to unfold in this world. Be sure to call today for your copy, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. The book is yours for a donation of any size. Thank you for your generosity. Your donations keep this ministry on the air. Again, thank you for your support. 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Again, you can listen to this broadcast online at reachingyourheart.com in its entirety along with the rest of the Cosmic Controversy series. And join us again next time. We so appreciate you listening. For Pastor Michael Oxentenko and everyone here, we do pray that God is reaching your heart. <laughs> 